The book of Ruth is read during the Jewish festival of Shavuot. We may be more familiar with that uh, celebration as the Feast of Weeks, which marks the completion of the harvest. And the central event in the book uh, is the harvest. That's what God uses to initiate his redemption of Naomi and Ruth, and eventually us. Rabbinic sources say that the Torah was given to Moses at Mount Sinai on Shabbat. And in the Torah, we read passages like this. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Steadfast love there is a Hebrew word, hesed. And the word hesed is used three times in the book of Ruth. It's found in 1.8 and 2.20 and 3.10, but not as directly as a description of God's character, but as a description of God's love as it's revealed through Ruth, Naomi, and Boaz. And when it is used like that, it's usually translated kindness. As we consider our passage today, I would like to approach the passage as the narrative that it is. Thinking in terms of three characters, Naomi, Ruth, and the narrator. We know, of course, Ruth and Naomi, and their narrator doesn't say much, but he does help us see the importance, the most important point of the passage is the idea of return. So let's go ahead and read our passage today, Ruth 1, 15 through 22. <clears throat> and she said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. Baruch said, Do not urge me to leave or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said, No more. So the two of them went on to, until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman said, Is this Naomi? She said to them, Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? Call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me. So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. So where are we so far? Naomi and her husband had, and her two sons went to Moab to escape the famine that had struck Judah. Naomi's sons married Moabite women, Orpah and Ruth. And sometime later, Naomi's husband died, leaving Naomi and her sons and her daughters-in-law. Later, Naomi's sons died, leaving Naomi and her two daughters alone and in precarious economic and social circumstances. Naomi decided to, to return to Bethlehem because she heard of the Lord's blessing on her, on her people, on his people. The Lord, it says, has visited his people and given them food. God had returned the blessing to Judah, and Naomi had heard that, and she said, well, it's probably good as time as any to go back. Naomi urged her two daughters-in-law to return to their homes and their families. Naomi knew that they would be better off staying in Moab than staying with her. 
After some intense urging, Orpah did return to Moab. And then Naomi urged Ruth one more time to go back. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that you would help us see what Naomi was dealing with. And I pray, Father, that you'd help us see what Ruth was dealing with as well. And in that, Father, I pray that you'd help us see your work and your plan and your determination to bring redemption to Naomi and Ruth as well as to us through Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Ruth one fifteen again. And Naomi said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. <clears throat> so one thing to notice in this verse is the use of the Hebrew word shinvabet. Say that three times fast. It's used six times in our passage today. It's used twice in verse 15. The word means to turn back or to return or to come back. And the word is very important in our understanding of the passage and in what Ruth does. Naomi points out to Ruth that Orpah has gone back, shin vabet, to her people and to her gods. Naomi uses that example to urge Ruth to return to shin vabet after her. The second thing to notice is how Naomi speaks about the gods of Moab. Naomi reflects the ancient Near Eastern worldview about the spiritual realm. Naomi and the Jews believed that there was one true God, that it was Yahweh, and that he was all-powerful. He was the creator, and he was above all other gods. Psalm 97.9, For you, O Lord, are most high over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. Your Eastern thinking was that there were many gods, and each nation and people had their own god or gods. When the Jews descended into idolatry, at first at least, they did not totally abandon Yahweh, but they worshipped Yahweh along with other gods, other gods like Baal. You might remember the Elijah incident, as I call it, where he called people to decide who they were going to follow, Baal or God. And then he had a little contest between himself and the 400 prophets of Baal, which didn't go well for them. And then you might remember Joshua's call to the Jews to follow God as they took possession of the land. Joshua said, choose today whom you will serve. Whether you will serve the uh, the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And the idea is also seen in a territorial dispute between Israel led by the judge Jephthah and the Ammonite king, Ammonite king, Judge, Judges 11.24. Jephthah says, Will you not possess what Chemosh, your God, gives you to possess? And all that the Lord our God has dispossessed before us, we will possess. The thinking was that the Ammonite God, Chemosh, had given them a particular portion of land and that they should keep that. And then Moses in his speech to Israel about what was before them as they prepared to enter the promised land. Moses anticipates their disobedience and their idolatry. While they worshipped other gods, they were in fact worshipping demons, forgetting the rock that had fathered them, Deuteronomy 32, 15 through 18. But Jeshurun, which is another name for Israel, grew fat and kicked. He grew fat, stout, and sleek, and he forsook God who made him and scoffed 
at the rock of his salvation. They stirred him to jealousy with strange gods, with abominations they, that they provoked him to anger. They sanctified to demons that were no gods, to gods they had never known, new gods that had come recently, whom your fathers had never dreaded. You were unmindful of the rock that bore you, and you forgot the God who gave you birth. Now, the Old Testament doesn't teach polytheism. And if we had time, we could trace all the passages in the Old Testament that, that declare and demonstrate that Yahweh is unique, that he's created all other spiritual beings, that he's apart from all these other so-called gods, and that fact is, and that all other spiritual beings include those people who called, are called gods, God created. Some of those created spiritual beings were, in fact, demons that rejected God. God is above them all and apart from all, and they are subject to his will and to his judgment. And Paul, in Colossians, reinforces this idea this is, we don't have a slide for this, but it says in Colossians 1, 15 through 17, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for all things in heaven and on earth were created by Him. All things, whether visible or invisible, whether thrones or dominions, whether principalities or powers, all things were created through Him and for Him. Principalities and powers is, are words that indicate the spiritual realm. Verse 17 there says, He himself is before all things, and all things are held together in him. And even Paul in the New Testament agrees with Moses' description of these so-called gods. He calls them demons. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10.20, No, I imply what pagan sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. I say all this because understanding this will help us understand what Ruth says next, and what she says next is amazing. So Ruth now speaks after this urging by Naomi. Ruth refuses Naomi's urging. We're not told what led Ruth to follow Naomi. We're not told what led Ruth to follow Naomi's God. In the ancient worldview, what happened to Naomi and her family showed that God had disfavored her, as Naomi herself later says. Ruth could have reasoned that it would be better to stay with her family and with her gods. Yet Ruth did not go back, but chose to stay with Naomi. Ruth had somehow become fully convinced and fully committed to Naomi and to Naomi's God, despite what apparently God had done to Naomi. Ruth rejected the God and the gods that she had grown up with. She recognized somehow that Yahweh was Almighty God. I can only conclude that Ruth's decision had a lot to do with Naomi. More precisely, what Ruth saw in Naomi and in Naomi's family. Naomi and her family must have been themselves fully committed to God. And Ruth saw in them something that she desired. She saw Yahweh, and she wanted to be counted with those who followed Yahweh. To me, that can only the only explanation for that is why Ruth stayed. Why Ruth stayed with Naomi, why Ruth stayed with Naomi's God, rejecting her Moabite gods. You know, and this is not unlike what God does with us. God uses his people to show those who do not know him what it's like to know Jesus, what it's like 
to see God. God acting in believers' lives draw, uh, will draw people to him because of what they see in you and me. Ruth's commitment is said as a poem in some translations, and it is what one commentator called one of the most beautiful expressions of commitment in all of the world's literature. Let's read it, Ruth 1, 16 and 17. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return, Shin Bav Bet, from following you. For where you will go, I will go. And where you will lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you will die, where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. So Ruth tells Naomi, stop talking to me about going back. I'm not going to go back. The Hebrew word translated leave in this passage means to abandon. Ruth saw her going back to Moab as an abandonment of Naomi and Yahweh. Ruth had a deep family and spiritual connection with Naomi. It was a connection that was stronger than any connection Ruth had to her Moabite family or to her Moabite gods. There um, are translation of the Hebrew scriptures done by, by uh, Jewish folks, uh, and they're called Targum. The Targum of Ruth emphasizes Ruth's commitment, and it adds this, this uh, paragraph to uh, the passage. It says, said Naomi, we are commanded to keep 613 commandments. Said Ruth, that which your people keep, that I shall keep, as though they had been my people before this. So Ruth expresses in this passage her commitment to in ever-increasing steps. Ruth says that she will go where Naomi goes. She says that she will live where Naomi lives. She says that she will adopt or she will take on Naomi's people as her own people. She says that she will take on Naomi's God as her own God. And she says that she will only be separated from Naomi by her own death. All these steps had significant meaning in the ancient world. For Ruth, there was no turning back. There was no shin bet back to Moab. While Ruth did not abandon Naomi and rather took on Naomi's God, Ruth was abandoning her Moabite family, her Moabite culture her Moabite land, and her Moabite gods. It was, in fact, a shin bet, a turning to Yahweh. Ruth solidified her commitment with this self-imprecation. Ruth called a curse upon herself. That is, she did not feel her lifetime commitment that God would, quote, do so to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you. Whatever the curse was, it was bad enough that Ruth would not even speak it out loud. This self-imprecation is similar to another one we find between Jonathan and his friend David. 1 Samuel twenty thirteen. Jonathan, talking about his father Saul, speaking to David, he says, But should it please my father to do your harm, the Lord to do so to Jonathan, and more also, if, we do, if I do not disclose it to you and send you away, that you may go in safety. May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. So Ruth's commitment to God is best seen in the words she uses about referring to God. 
In verse 16, when Ruth says that your God will be my God, she uses the common name for God in the Old Testament, Elohim. It's used over 2,600 times in the Old Testament, referring to God, but also referring to other gods. Exodus 12.12 says this, For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods, on all the Elohim of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. But in Ruth, in uh, verse 17, Ruth calls on the Lord to execute the, uh, this curse that she calls upon herself if she doesn't follow through on her commitment. And the word she uses, translated Lord, in the passage is not the common name Elohim, but the personal name of God, Yahweh. Somehow, some way, at some point, Ruth had submitted herself to God. Not just any common God, but only to Yahweh. Ruth could not know everything her commitment to Yahweh meant at the time. Yet Ruth was sufficiently convinced that following Yahweh was the best thing she could do. This commitment by Ruth is akin to a person becoming a believer. When a person accepts Christ, they cannot know everything that acceptance involves. But new believers know, to some degree, that they are rejecting their previous life and their previous gods and rejecting following their own desires and and their own sin to become a follower of Christ. I remember my conversion. I've shared this before. But when I was saved, when I did pray that God would enter my life, that Jesus would touch me and save me, I could not know, I could not foresee the, um, the events of my life. I couldn't foresee that my stepfather would be abusive and hostile to Christianity and to me. I couldn't foresee the depth my mom would take into alcoholism. I couldn't foresee the the uh, poverty and the the lack that must most of my life had before I became uh, oh, a husband and a father. Yet, when I got saved, I knew it was the best thing to do. And those things that, when they happened, weren't quite as horrible as they might otherwise have been, because I could turn to God. I could shin bet to God. So Ruth makes her commitment, and now the narrator speaks. Verses 18 and 19. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem, and when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? The narrator leads us in this transition from Moab to Bethlehem. Two things to notice here. First, when Naomi saw Ruth, saw that Ruth would not be, was, uh, would not be convinced to stay in, in Moab, Naomi relented. This reminds us of another foreigner in the scriptures who committed to stay. 2 Samuel fifteen nineteen through 21. Then the king, that is David, said to Ittai the Gettite, Why do you also go with us? Go back. And stay with the king, for you are a foreigner and also an exile from your home. You came only yesterday, and shall I today make you wander, wander about with us, since I know not where, not no, pardon me, since I go, I know not where. Go back, take your brothers with you, and may the Lord show steadfast love and faithfulness to you. But Ittai answered the king, as the Lord lives, and as my lord the king lives, wherever my 
Lord and the king shall be, whether for death or for life, there also, there also will your servant be. David relented, so did Naomi. But as David seemed to welcome Hittai, it seems that Naomi didn't really readily welcome Ruth. Now, this is not because Naomi didn't like Ruth. I think Naomi loved Ruth. And it's clear that she did, because she later calls Ruth her daughter, not just her daughter-in-law. It's more likely that Naomi didn't want Ruth with her, as Naomi suffered the social and economic consequences of being a widow. The burden on Naomi was hard enough without the additional burden of caring for another person. And there may have been some embarrassment on Naomi's part, because she was bringing a Moabite who was forbidden to be in Israel. She was being bringing a Moabite home with her. The second thing to notice in this passage is that the reaction of the people of Bethlehem to Naomi's return. The narrator says that the whole town was stirred, meaning that the town was excited. They were excited that Naomi had come home. Now, Bethlehem would not have been a big town, a few hundred people at most, but they were excited to see Naomi. And I suppose Naomi did not expect such a welcome. And I would suggest here that God was already working in his plan to redeem. And then Naomi speaks again. Verses 20 and 21. She said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me? And the Almighty has brought calamity upon me. So as we've already said, the women of the town were excited to see Naomi, but their question to her may have reflected surprise at her appearance. And you can imagine this. After all the loss that Naomi had experienced, after all the time that had passed, after all the stress that she was dealing with, Naomi probably looked old, weary, and worn out. Is this Naomi? But Naomi replies that her name, which means pleasant, no longer applies to her or to her life. While the women of Bethlehem were excited to see her, Naomi is despondent. And she wishes to be called Mara, which means bitter. Naomi then explains her choice of this appellation, and she lays it on God. Naomi says that God has dealt bitterly with her. That word there, translated bitterly, is related to the word Mara, but it means to make bitter. God has made Naomi's life bitter. Naomi says that when she left Bethlehem, she was full. She and her husband, she had her husband and her two children, and they had moved to a place that was not under famine. Not everything certainly was ideal, but her life, she says, was full. And God took it all away. No more husband, no more sons, no prospect of grandchildren. No life. All because of God. And Naomi, in all of her despondence, was right. God ordained the circumstances of Naomi's life to advance his purposes, just as God ordains the circumstances of our life to advance his purpose. For Naomi, for Ruth, for Boaz, and even us, because Ruth was part of the line of Jesus Christ, who offers his salvation to us. God's purpose was in all of this. I remember 
not very long after Nancy and I had come to Grace Life, we had, of course, met Christina. And at the time, of course, she was dealing with cancer. And uh, we had occasion to have dinner with Christina one night. And the topic of cancer came up. And uh, she said something that I found remarkable, not because of what she said was so remarkable, but because what she said was remarkable given all the circumstances that she was dealing with. She said that she knew that God had purpose. Actually, she used the word purposes for her battle with cancer. God is working. And the death of Naomi's suffering can be seen in this. She calls herself empty, yet Ruth was standing right next to her. Naomi's bitterness was so deep that she could not see any prospect of recovery or redemption, which happens with us from time to time. We may be suffering loss. We may have had something happen to us that's devastating. And at the time, it can be hard, maybe even impossible, to see what God's doing, to see the purpose that he has in it. But Naomi is not done. She says that the Almighty has testified against her. And as you might guess, guess, this is a legal term. Naomi uses a Hebrew legal idiom to compare what God has done to her as if God were both witness and prosecutor against her in court. And God won. And then finally, the name God Naomi uses, Almighty, is the Hebrew Shaddai. The word almighty here means or emphasizes God's power, and the word is often used to show God's power, using his power to bless his people. But at other times, it shows his severity. When the southern kingdom of Judah was getting close to the time that Babylon was going to come, and God was going to use Babylon to uh, effect his judgment on Judah, Joel, in Joel 1.15, says, Alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is near, and as destruction from the Almighty, Shaddai, it comes. And finally, Naomi simply says that it is God who has brought all of this on her. It's hard for us to think rightly when we're suffering. It's hard for us to think rightly when we're dealing with loss and pain. When we might express along with Naomi that we should be called Mara, And I expect Naomi was not completely thinking right during this time. But in her assessment of God, bringing this calamity on her, she was right. The calamity on Naomi was not the end of her life, although she might have felt like it. But it was the beginning of her redemption. God was working. And yet as we read this, we should take note that Naomi does not blame God. She acknowledges that God has done this. But she doesn't shake her fist at God and rail against him, declaring the unfairness of it all. In this, she is like Job. I think Caleb quoted this passage last week. But after Job's initial loss, in Job 1, 20, 22, it says that Job rose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell to the ground and worshipped. He said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Naomi didn't charge God with wrong. She accepted that God was sovereign. 
And then Job had a second loss, where he lost virtually everything, including his children. Job 2, 9 and 10 says, Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. I wonder if Job was thinking, why didn't she get taken to? Sorry. But Job said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? In this, all of this, Job did not sin with his lips. Naomi didn't sin. She accepted. She Acknowledge that it was God who did all this. And while she didn't say it, I think her attitude is probably very much like Job's. Shall we not receive good from God and not receive evil? In her despair and her bitterness and in her assessment that God had brought all this loss, Naomi never rejected God. Naomi accepted that God was sovereign over her life. And there's a comparison here. Both Ruth and Naomi acknowledge God. Both Ruth and Naomi acknowledge God's sovereignty. Ruth acknowledged God through her decision to commit her life to him, regardless of the circumstances. Naomi acknowledged God's sovereignty while in the middle of horrific loss and economic disaster. You might say that Ruth expresses a deeper faith than Naomi. Maybe that's true. Yet Naomi had faith that God held her life. It's not easy to say that it is, that it's not to say that Naomi knew why God did what he did, only that Naomi accepted God's sovereignty over her life. And then finally, we get to the narrator again. And I think to the main point of the passage. When we last heard from him, the the narrator transitioned Naomi and Ruth from Noab to Bethlehem. But now we hear from the narrator of a different kind of transition. I mentioned earlier that the word shin vav bet, to return, is used six times in this passage. It's used twice in verse 15. In verse 19, here the narrator says that Naomi and Ruth came to Bethlehem, using the word came twice. That's not shin vav bet. In verse 22, the narrator uses shin vav bet twice as well. In verse 19, Ruth and Naomi physically walked to Bethlehem. They came to Bethlehem. In verse 22, Naomi and Ruth left Moab and returned to Bethlehem. Here, in a spiritual sense, and in many ways a much more real sense than a mere traveling from one place to another. What is unusual is that the narrator speaks of Ruth returning to a place she had never been before. Listen carefully, Ruth 1.22. So Naomi returned. And Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Naomi returned. She returned to the people of God. And she returned to God himself, acknowledging his sovereignty as much as it was in a state of loss and bitterness. But Ruth also returned to God, not in the sense of coming back, but in the sense that she pledged her life to God. Shin Bet is coming to God, returning to him, even even if it's for the first time. Finally, the narrator mentions almost in passing that the return of Naomi and Ruth came at the beginning of the barley harvest. Of course, this sets up the beginning of the redemption that God was going to bring. So, a few things to consider. 
And let me say here, let me try and clarify something here. The way we're using the word bitterness here is not in the sense of a person who allows uh, bitterness to, against someone to fester and to grow and end up making that person perpetually angry and hostile to people and to God, usually because of unforgiveness. The bitterness Naomi's experiencing here is more like a, a resignation or a, even a cynicism at circumstances that have overtaken her. It was a, uh, what's left for me? It was a deep sadness and an inability to see what God was doing. There are people in this room, perhaps most of us, who have experienced loss and have been in a state of bitterness like Naomi. Some of us had had significant loss and significant bitterness. I lost my grandparents and my mom and my dad and a nephew all in the space of three years. I got tired of going to funerals. Some of us will experience loss and the bitterness that goes with it in the future. Ruth responded to loss and pain with a recognition of God and a commitment to him. Naomi responded while in despair, but she still acknowledged God. Ruth responded in full faith, knowing that Yahweh was the only God to follow. Caleb has rightly said that Ruth is a story of redemption, and as such, it pictures the redemption that Christ offers us. But at this stage in the story, for Naomi at least, she can't see redemption. It's not in her view. It's not something that she can perceive or look at and say, yeah, that's what God's going to do. But it was in God's view. As we mentioned before, God has purpose in all of this for Naomi and Ruth. God always has a redemptive purpose for all of us, all the time, even when there's loss and bitterness. If you're experiencing loss and even a bitterness of your soul, or even if you're not, I want to remind you to acknowledge God in his sovereignty in your life. He has purpose for you. I don't want to imply here that, well, if I just do what Naomi did or if I just do what Ruth did, that things will be good. I don't, that's not the implication here. The, what I'm <clears throat> saying here is that the principle of Shin Bet, the principle of returning to God or coming to God or coming back to him, if you will, even if you've never left, is what we can take from this passage. God has purpose of redemption for your life. He has redeemed you. Remember that. If you've accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, God has redeemed you, and he will redeem you. And in the circumstances of your life that he brings in your life, he will bring redemption for you and for others. So, I encourage you to return to him. If you're experiencing loss and bitterness, if you're wondering what what in the world is God doing, or if you're not experiencing loss and bitterness and you're in full joy, and you're you're walking with God closely, I still encourage you to return to him or to turn to him. God has redeemed you. He will redeem you. I mentioned in the beginning that Nancy and I just returned from California. We went back because we have a lot of friends there. Uh, That was the... The, the main purpose of, of our going, <laughs> I should, I've been telling people that uh, I made three lists. I made a list of the things we wanted to do. I made a list of the people we wanted to see. And I made a list of the things, the places I wanted to eat. 
uh, because a lot of the places in California, they don't have here. Uh, so that was a good thing. But the main purpose, of course, was to go see our friends, people we had developed relationships with for 20 years, some of them deep and, and close. But we're glad to be here. We're glad to be home. We're glad to have returned to this family with whom we have deep, committed relationships and with whom, some of whom, we have experienced loss and bitterness with. We've returned to God's people, and I would encourage all of us to return to God. And perhaps the best way to sum this up is in Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Even in loss and bitterness, God's burden is light. And not if you know him for the first time, but every time you need to turn to him, turn to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for reminding us about Shin Vav Bet, about returning. And we know, Father, that it's not just a coming back, but it is a turning to you, a turning towards you, and a turning for you, so that we may hang on to you, even in the very hardest of times, because we know, Lord, that you have purpose, and you have redemptive purpose in it. Ah, Lord, we thank you for that. May we always return to you whether in good times or in bad. May we return to you tomorrow and the next day and the day after and, and so on. Thank you, Lord, for your redemptive purpose in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.